welcome to GEMCAST. That stands for Geriatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. And this will be a series of lectures dedicated to helping improve the care of older adults in the emergency department. My name is Christina Shenby, and I will be interviewing various leaders in the field of geriatric emergency medicine to bring clinical tips, pearls, ideas, things to watch out for to you as a clinician to help you take better care of your patients. So thanks for joining us, and welcome to the first podcast. I am here with Kevin Bice, and we are going to be talking about diagnosing and managing delirium in the emergency department. Kevin is an expert in all things relating to geriatric emergency medicine, and he literally wrote the chapter in Tintin Alley's On Delirium, along with Kristen Barrio, a former fellow. We're going to start out with a case. The first case is a 72-year-old woman who is sent in from her skilled nursing facility because she's been slightly more somnolent and just not acting herself. Then in the ER, she becomes a little bit agitated. Now, Kevin, this is a patient that we see in every single ER, every day, all over the world. What is going on with this patient? This patient is clearly delirious. It's critical to recognize as the emergency medicine physicians that what's going on here is delirium. It's not acutely worsening dementia. It's probably something organic that's causing this patient to manifest as delirious. That's really important for me as an emergency medicine physician to recognize because as soon as I put the word delirium in my head, I think, wow, there's something going on that's causing this person to be sick and I need to figure out what it is. It's a vital sign of older adults and it tells me to go look for the cause of their delirium. Identifying delirium is critical. In this case, it's pretty obvious. There's been some great work done by Jin Han and others looking at using delirium screens in the triage area, such as the BCAM, the Brief Confusion Assessment Method. I like anything with the word brief in it, but it's appropriate for the emergency department. But if you're not fortunate enough to work in an emergency department with such a screening program in place, this is definitely something that the physician or provider can pick up on her or his own. The way to diagnose delirium is to use something like the CAM, the Confusion Assessment Method. A patient is delirious if they have an acute onset or fluctuating course of their confusion. So you've got to know if it's new. In order to find out if it's new, call someone. Also, they've got to have inattention. So demented patients will often talk right with you. They'll look you in the eye and they'll explain how they had breakfast with their mother that morning and how FDR is president. You know they're not thinking correctly in the sense that their memory's off, but they're attentive, they're engaged. Delirious patients are typically inattentive. Sometimes they're picking at things on their clothing, they're looking around the room, they're just not quite tracking with you, they're not quite engaged with you. So you've got to have acute onset or different than baseline, and you've got to have inattention. In addition, you either have to have disorganized thinking, which frankly almost all of these patients do. You wouldn't be thinking about them being confused if their thinking was completely organized, or altered level of consciousness, such as in this case they were quote-unquote more sleepy. They're slightly altered. Acute onset plus inattention plus either disorganized thinking or altered level of consciousness means this patient's delirious. And you've got to figure out why, which generally is an illness, anything from a urinary tract infection to a myocardial infarction, and anything in between. Great. So important to recognize delirium, and there are tools to diagnose it, like the brief confusion assessment method. And then why is it important for us to identify 
in the ER. We know that as ER doctors, we don't always immediately jump to delirium as a diagnosis, but why is it that important? I think it's critical to identify delirium in the emergency department, really for two reasons. One, undiagnosed delirium that is discharged home from the emergency department has a higher rate of death and other bad outcomes, and death's a pretty bad one, than diagnosed delirium. If we miss it, people get hurt. Two, since we do admit a lot of older adults without knowing exactly what's going on with them, for better or worse, even if we admit them, if we miss it, it's usually missed by the hospital team, the admitting physicians as well. There's been some great work looking at this, and the vast majority of times, if we don't identify delirium in the emergency department, the admitting team doesn't record that they're delirious either. It's critically important that the team knows they're delirious so they can look for the etiology of the delirium. Those are great tips. So we need to identify this for the patient in case we discharge them, but also if we're going to admit them. Now you mentioned that delirium is a sign that there's something else going on underneath it, something that's causing it. Delirium as a vital sign for the older adult. And I love the mnemonic that you use in your chapter in Tintinales, uh, which is delirium. And these are some of the causes of delirium. And sometimes it might be obvious. You don't need to use a mnemonic. But other times when you're not sure, you can pull this out on your shift and work through it and see what you could be missing. D stands for drugs or medication side effects. Frequent offenders are going to be things like sedatives or psychoactive agents. Obviously, psychoactive drugs have psychoactive side effects. But other more common medications, things like antihistamines, anticholinergics, opiates, or even alcohol, which we don't think of as often in our older patients, those can all lead to delirium. And then older adults also are often on many different medications, which puts them at risk for adverse drug interactions or synergistic negative side effects like serotonin syndrome from things like SSRIs, obviously, but then also trazodone or also on Dancitron or uh, linazolid. A lot of these medications that you might not think of can be serotonergic. So that was D for drugs. E stands for electrolyte abnormalities. Common things are dehydration. Older adults may not have as ready access to water or they may have a blunted thirst reflex and they can become dehydrated easily. They also uh, can get hyponatremic, have acute renal failure, and then hypothyroidism also is in there. L is the opposite of D and stands for lack of drugs. So withdrawal from medications like opiates, benzodiazepines, or alcohol can trigger a delirium. I stands for infection. Common ones are pneumonia and UTIs. Obviously, meningitis and encephalitis should be considered with altered mental status, but common things being common, pneumonia and UTIs. R stands for reduced sensory input. So you know you have those patients that you're talking to them and they seem like they're not paying attention and they're answering incorrectly to what you asked. Well, perhaps they just don't have their hearing aids or maybe they can't see you well. They don't have their glasses. So reduce sensory input. Try to make sure people have whatever hearing aids or glasses they came in with or that they use at home. I stands for intracranial pathology. So this is things like a stroke. Maybe they don't really have delirium. Maybe they have neglect or a tumor or an intracranial hemorrhage. I remember a pleasant woman in her 80s who was brought in one day, and the only complaint was that her friend went to visit her and found she wasn't quite as feisty as usual, but she had nothing localizing on exam. And it turned out she had a pretty large frontal 
uh, intraparenchymal hemorrhage. And that less, less feistiness was really sort of on the spectrum of inattentiveness, and it was um, a delirium. U stands for urinary or fecal retention. So constipation is a common problem in older adults, particularly people who are institutionalized or have poor mobility, but they can become impactive, impacted or have urinary retention from various medication side effects, and that can cause delirium. And lastly, the M is myocardial or pulmonary. So things like infarction, CHF exacerbation, COPD exacerbation, or other disease processes that might cause hypercapnia or hypoxia. So that was the delirium mnemonic that you can use when you're not sure what's going on or not sure what's causing the delirium. So Kevin, now I want to talk about delirium and dementia. We all know, we've read the textbooks, we were taught in med school that dementia is a gradual onset process with loss of executive function and short-term memory loss, and delirium is this acute waxing waning entity. But in the ER, it can be so hard to distinguish what's going on. Why is this so confusing? It is confusing, and it's because demented patients get delirious. Dementia is one of the primary risk factors for patients becoming delirious, and because we're only seeing them in a single snapshot in time. It's challenging because you don't know naturally what they were like yesterday. You haven't been their doctor taking care of them for years, which brings us back to a critical point. For confused older adults, you've got to call and find out what their baseline is. If it's usually better than it is today, even if they have baseline dementia, if they're more confused today, they have delirium superimposed upon dementia. Critically important. I want to talk next about treatment. I know you said, first of all, we want to identify the underlying problem and then treat it. What can we do in the ED? Obviously, if they have an infection, we'll treat that, but that's not going to immediately resolve their delirium. What can we help to do to help reduce the symptoms of their delirium and confusion? Exactly. Well, to go back to the delirium demonic and the detecting the etiology of the delirium, it sounds like there's a whole lot of things that can cause delirium, and there is. So in practical terms, a patient comes in and they're confused. You figure out they're more confused than normal and they're inattentive and they either have disorganized thinking or altered level of consciousness and you say, goodness, they're delirious. Why? Simply at that point, you order some basic tests. You want to have a wide net to capture the etiology of the delirium. So get basic chemistries, urine, CBC, troponin, EKG, and consider, but certainly not always, a head CT in these patients. I think at baseline, you've got to do those tests as soon as you identify someone is delirious. Okay, so how do you treat it and the agitation or the sleepiness once you identify it? And I want to emphasize the sleepiness. The majority of delirious patients are either hypoactive or mixed. No one misses when an older adult is severely agitated and causing a ruckus. But sometimes we don't pay attention to the overly sleepy older adults and they're delirious too. What do we do about that? Well, of course treat the underlying problem, the infection, etc. But you also want to reorient. You want to talk in a soothing voice. You want to make sure that lighting is appropriate for the time of day. In the ED we have a bad habit of shining bright fluorescent lights on folks all day and night long and that can't be peaceful. If possible you want to get the patient out of bed. You want to make sure that they've eaten. Unfortunately, sometimes older adults spend much time in our emergency department and they're not able to advocate for themselves, so they may not get an adequate amount of food. 
you certainly want to make sure that they've had water to drink when appropriate, and if not, that they're getting fluids. Older adults have a decreased thirst mechanism, and confused older adults don't always know to ask for something to drink. You've got to be looking at these basic needs of people. And if they're in pain, treat the pain. Start there. You can often de-escalate someone that's delirious or help them be less withdrawn if you treat those symptoms. That's great. So we've talked about so far how to identify delirium, diagnose it, some of the underlying causes, and then how to treat the symptoms. What do we do, Kevin, if we've tried all these things, we've identified the source of delirium, we've tried to give the patient food, water, keep them comfortable, treat their pain, but it's not working, and they're becoming more and more agitated. They're pulling out their IVs. They're trying to climb out of bed. They're swinging at the staff members. At that point, we need something more. What can we do for those patients? Exactly, um, and unfortunately, that is far too common of a scenario, as everyone listening to this podcast knows. So again, I just don't want to start with medications. You want to look at all the other factors. Have you been able to treat their pain? Have you been able to bring their family in? Have you taken them out of the hallway? There's no more deliriogenic place in the universe than the hallway of a business emergency department. But let's assume for this conversation, you've done all that and the patient is agitated and a safety risk to him or herself. You've got to do something. Well, your options at that point are either chemical or physical restraints. I steer away from physical restraints at almost all costs. It's awful to physically restrain someone. Perhaps sometimes unavoidable, but very, very rarely unavoidable. So I'm going to lean towards pharmacotherapy at that point. My go-to medication for older adults that have to be medicated, and this is to be avoided whenever possible, is haloperidol. I'm comfortable with it in small doses. I usually use 0.5 to 1 milligram IV. If I can get the patient to take it PO, that's great, but that probably means I can talk them down and perhaps not have to give them any medication. So usually when I'm giving it to them, I have to give it IV or potentially IM if for some reason we've lost IV access. So haloperidol, 0.5 to 1 milligrams, not 5 milligrams, and I also steer away from benzodiazepines because they're lipophilic and last for a long time in older adults. The exception being more older adults drink alcohol than I think of, and if you're withdrawing from alcohol, benzodiazepines are clearly the way to go. Alternatively, olanzapine is a reasonable option as well in low doses, um, as, as, all, as is risperidone. I use haloperidol because I'm comfortable with it and with the side effect profile in low doses. I do not feel compelled at doses of 0.5 to 1 milligram to get an EKG again, if I have one, of course I look at it. If I don't have one, if I'm able to get an EKG, if the patient can settle down, I can probably avoid medicating them at that point. So you're saying not to use five of haloperidol and two of lorazepam in addition to the 50 of diphenhydramine? Wow. I bet, I bet a lot of people didn't know haloperidol came in packs less than five milligrams. That's great. Let's finish now with a second case. This is a case of an 85-year-old woman who has a history of dementia and comes in after a fall with a hip fracture. She's off a risk of trying to get out of bed, so she's put in a hallway bed, and the family are kept out for the time being because the patient is in a hallway bed. 
we can predict that this patient is at high risk for delirium. What can we do, and you've mentioned some of these already, but just to tie it all together, what can we do to help prevent delirium in this patient? Absolutely, and that is a great question. The reality is most older adults don't come in hyperactively, agitatedly delirious. Some do, but most of the time I'm helping treat agitated older adults. They've been in the emergency department for a while and been getting progressively more agitated. It just didn't reach my attention until it escalated to a point of being a safety risk. So here's a patient who's not yet delirious, at least not hyperactively so, who has untreated pain. They've broken their hip. They're in the hallway, no more deliriogenic place in the universe, and they're likely not to get adequate food or hydration over the next several hours because we got to figure out if they're going to the OR. So prophylactically, I'm going to get that patient out of the hallway. I'm going to talk with the nurse about switching that patient to a less chaotic part of the emergency department. I'm going to ask the nurse's aides to go out to the waiting room and see if family is there or if we can find family and have family be with that patient. And I'm going to keep my eyes and ears open for figuring out when that patient's going to the OR. Frankly, at my institution, if it's already afternoon, they're probably not going that night. And as soon as I know that, they don't have to be NPO today because they have to be NPO after midnight. So I'm going to try and get them food or water as soon as that's appropriate. And I'm going to treat their pain. Now, older adults can sometimes be more sensitive to narcotic pain medications, but I'm willing to bet that breaking your hip hurts a lot. And I'm very comfortable giving narcotic pain medications in these patients. I might start with a lower dose, say 2 milligrams of morphine, but I know that that's going to be an inadequate dose. And so I'm going to check on them 15 minutes later and give them another 2 and check on them 15 minutes later and they might need another 2 at that point. It's going to hurt and I I want to make sure that we're treating that adequately. That's great. We've summarized a lot of material First off, how to recognize delirium and diagnose it. And a lot of places nowadays actually have EDs for older adults, or they're sometimes called senior EDs. And there are some guidelines for senior EDs that include things like detection of delirium. And they even have nurses um, doing some of this screening ahead of time. But in the absence of that, you can do it yourself using the BCAM or just the components of the BCAM. Another thing I like to do to try to prevent the delirium or to treat agitation is give them their home meds. So if they're usually on something like Zyprexa or Trazodone or Risperdone or one of these medications, I'll give them their home dose to try to ward off the um, delirium or to try to treat it because they've probably missed their home medications anyway. We went through the delirium mnemonic for underlying causes of delirium and then talked about how to treat and prevent it. So thanks very much for talking with me, and we look forward to you all tuning in next time. As a reminder, GEMcast is intended for clinicians. Please see our full disclaimer on the website, soundcloud.com slash GEMcast. Thanks for listening.